Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. I'm Brian Bolt, kinesiology professor and men's golf coach at Calvin College. And I'm Chad Carlson, professor of kinesiology and assistant men's basketball coach at Hope College. And Dig Deep is a place where we can talk about sport, something we all love, and our faith, uh, our faith in Jesus Christ, and how that intersects with our lives in sport and beyond. One of the things that we're really excited about in sport and Christianity is the upcoming Global Congress, which is set for October 2019. This is going to be a time for sports fans, for Christians, for academics, for practitioners to come together and have conversation, meaningful conversation about how we live our lives for Christ and, and how sport can play a role in that. We have a terrific lineup of keynote speakers, and we'll be asking for others to participate in the conversation as well, so just pay attention to the website. It's calvin, C-A-L-V-I-N dot E-D-U slash events slash 2GCSC. It stands for the Second Global Congress on Sports and Christianity. And we're very excited about this upcoming Congress because it gives us an opportunity to talk about a variety of different topics. One of them comes up uh, actually in our lives quite often because Chad is a coach, a basketball coach at Hope College in Holland, Michigan, and I am a coach, a uh, golf coach at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, both of which are uh, located in the western portion of Michigan, about 30 miles away. This is uh, a rivalry, uh, certainly a sport rivalry that's been in place for a long period of time, and interestingly, it like other rivalries, it spans all sports, men's and women's sports. Uh, Hope tends to be very good at a lot of different sports, and Calvin tends to be very good at a lot of sports. And so we are often referred to as a rivalry. In fact, ESPN ranked Hope and Calvin in the top five for rivalries in the United States. It's so interesting that, uh, that this, is, this is how people perceive Hope and Calvin. And so when Brian and I work together to co-host this conference, but the immediate reaction is, really, Hope and Calvin are working together, huh? I thought you guys were rivals. It's going okay, Chad. I mean, it's hard enough to kind of sit here in this room having this conversation with a Hope person, and you're actually kind of likable. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm having a hard time with that because most of what I need to do, or most of what I do, is I villainize the rival, and you're the dark side. You understand that. Absolutely. And the first time I met you, I was surprised you didn't have red horns coming out of your head. Well, that's on weekends. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, the arena. So when we talk about rivalry, we know what it feels like. And particularly, I know what it feels like when I'm on the wrong end of a rivalrous competition. So in other words, the moments that I remember the most, sadly, are not the ones when we've won. It's been those moments when not only have we lost, but we've lost to our rival. And it's a really bitter pill to swallow. It's really interesting from a Christian perspective to sort through what it feels like and the emotions that emerge at the moment of winning and the moment of losing. Rivalries are such emotionally charged events. And so we want to spend some time today talking about that. So what what is a rivalry? This is, is a, a unique word. So it comes to us from, from Latin. And really, it's a combination of two words. So the beginning of the R-I-V, Rivas, is, uh, means a river. So a, a river, okay? And then the second part of it, the A-L, is short for Ali, or 
landlord for others. And so really what a rival is, is someone who is sharing a stream with others. I think this gets in some sense at the heart of sport rivalry too, because what we're dealing with here in the original Latin word is you are sharing a scarce resource with another, a stream, sharing a stream with a neighbor, this stream being so important to quality of life. Um, you know, a stream is never ending in terms of the flow of water, and yet the purity of it is not never ending. In fact, that's, that's very scarce. So we have, you know, two or more people or groups sharing this stream, and whatever one does to the stream affects the other, and therefore both sort of take ownership of, of that particular resource. And obviously we know what happens when we have to share a resource like that is we squabble. We tend to um, take small slights and amplify them. Uh, any number of things that we also do in sport with our rivals. And so it's unique that that's sort of the, the basis for all this. That's the definition. And we see rivalry outside of sport all the time. Of course, sibling rival rivalry is very famous. Two brothers or two sisters or a brother and a sister trying to vie for scarce resources, potentially parents' attention or uh, different goods that might come in a family circumstance. We also have lots of examples of biblical rivalry. Cain and Abel were siblings, uh, Jacob and Esau, and the disciples squabbled all the time trying to get attention from Jesus. Who's going to sit at your right hand? And so there are a lot of examples of rivalry, and rarely are those examples listed in a positive light. It's very combative. And in the end, we're, we sit here with a sport rivalry and we wonder, is this something that we need to eliminate from the sporting environment or does it add something to the sporting environment? Well, that's exactly the question. And the funny thing about rivalries is that so often they are with the people that we're so close with. When we think about sibling rivalries, like you said, oftentimes we compare ourselves to siblings because they're the closest people to us, at least at an early age. And the biblical examples that you gave, the disciples were always together. So often they were together and vying for the scarce resources of being seen as Jesus' favorite or being the best, you know, who's the best. It seems to me that in terms of rivalry and sport, there are certain things that are shared among rivals that help us understand, you know, the nature of these types of relationships. And so we, we hear about rivalries and we oftentimes think about, um, you know, sort of sustained excellence, both both rivals, both teams, both individuals seem to have a sustained level of excellence, or at least a similar level of excellence. Typically, we don't talk about rivals among teams that end up at the bottom of the pack. We have some very famous rivalries in history. We mentioned the Hope-Calvin rivalry, which has sustained uh, a long period of time. Other collegiate rivalries exist. Uh, in the United States, we think about Ohio State and Michigan, or Duke and North Carolina. And then there are personal rivalries in uh, individual sports, like Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson are rivalries, and Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus were rivals, and there were many that uh, existed in tennis as well. Those individual sports certainly uh, play that out or give great examples. Um, and that's not to say that we also have you know, professional sports teams who are rivals. When we think about you know, among the most prominent in the United States is the, the, the Red Sox and the Yankees in, in baseball. But we think about international soccer, Manchester United and Liverpool historically have had, you know, quite a rivalry. And so it's that shared excellence, that, that shared space at the top of the league, at the top of, of the sport, whatever it may be, that is oftentimes indicative of rivalry. So two 
competitors that often met in the finals for Grand Slams and other tennis tournaments were Martina Navratilova and Chris Evert, both of whom had moments of success, but also considered this idea of rivalry and actually spoke about each other and with each other. And one of the insights that sort of came from that rivalry is that, you know, at the end of a rivalry, at the end of a competition, there is such a dichotomy, such a difference of emotion. When one wins and is elated and the other loses, there's a, a bitterness from one side and an elation from the other side, which tends to linger until the next contest. ESPN did a 30 for 30 on these two and they called it unmatched. And this is a play on their relationship. But the entire film is about them discussing rivalry and discussing their differences, but also their similarities. And so it's really interesting to hear these two elite athletes um, looking back on their careers, knowing that they had as intense a rivalry, as, as a paradigmatic an example of rivalry as you could find in that from the mid-1970s to the late 1980s. These two, uh, one of the two was ranked number one for just about the entire time, and they faced each other in so many tournament championships, so many finals, Grand Slams or non-Grand Slams, that basically what they said is the complexity of their relationship stemmed from the fact that every time that they shared space together, they ended up in a totally different emotional state. In that one won and felt unbelievably happy, won a lot of money, and, and was on top of the world, and the other one had to swallow a bitter pill of defeat. They were never in the shared, in the same emotional space. Now, I think we would we would say maybe that's not necessarily true because the build up, the lead up, you know, when you're warming up, the anticipation is the same, the excitement is the same, and and you, you might both be on sort of a shared roller coaster, albeit you're at the top of the wave and the bottom of the wave at different times during the event. But at, at the end of, the, uh, of their relationship, each time that they left each other, one was flying high, and the other one was down in the dumps. And when you walk away from something like that, after a hard-fought battle, you are affected by everything that goes on. So you're thinking not only about your own circumstance, but also getting to that envious point of wondering, why am I losing to this particular person over and over again? It can be very frustrating because rivals end up in finals of lots of different tournaments but that's sort of the nature of sport and maybe gives us some clue as to how rivalry can have a certain positive aspect in sport. It's the competitiveness that sport provides. The opportunity from the perspective of, of a competitor who has just lost to come back and renew the competition, get another opportunity, another crack at getting to the victory circle. And the same is true for the winner. The winner never walks away in full and complete victory. The winner always in sport needs to go back, prepare, and anticipate that the rival will be coming back even better possibly the next time. So one of the things that rivals often say about the rivalry is that they would never have been as good if they didn't have the rival pushing them. And that's oftentimes used by ethicists and others who love sports to, um, to justify rivalry. And that, that's a part of it, but, but the beauty of being able to, being able to be pushed and, and push a rival stems from the fact that you're never sure exactly when your last head-to-head -head competition is going to be. That so often these storylines continue. 
one season to the next, one year to the next. You get to play each other over and over and over again. And there's a real beauty to that, an aesthetic beauty that comes from being able to see how the narrative shifts and being able to see storylines that, that go throughout that really, I think, builds meaning into our lives. So you use the, the phrase narrative and story. And so we start thinking about sport and the drama that comes with it. And part of drama, if we think about any uh, movie or television show that sort of brings us to the brink, we actually enjoy labeling. We label the hero and we label the villain. And so the question is, in sport, should we be thinking of our opponent with deep respect, and yet at the same time, can we think about our opponent with deep respect and that villainous nature? Can we sort of throw ourselves into rivalry in a way that does not subject us to the vices of envy and anger? So, so often when we have a rival, it's it's us versus them, it's you versus me. We, we very much um, define the rival as the other. And in that sense, we really, we, we exaggerate the differences between us and our rival. And, and we do that sometimes maybe as self-defense, or we do that when we lose to cope and we say, oh, you know, the rival, they, you know, they think they're, they're holier than everybody else. Or they think they're, be they're better than us. And we, we play up these differences. And, and yet so much of rivalry stems from, you know, the, the similarities. That's why we become rivals in the first place, is that we share space space at the top, we share sometimes geographic space in terms of a lot of the rivalries that we've mentioned. Or, um, you know, we share ideologies. And in the case of Hope and Calvin, for instance, we're pretty darn close uh, in, the, in the grand scheme of colleges and their ideologies. And yet we play up our differences. And in some sense, that, I think, uh, uh, makes it more difficult for us to, to navigate these complex waters of, of ethics and morality in terms of, of rivalry. Because I see you as the other because you're a part of the rival team from me. Even though we may be so similar, we may have a lot in common. Part of me coping with not being able to beat you every time and sometimes not being able to beat you very much at all is the fact that um, I see you as different. I cope with that by saying you are different from me. I think about our differences. Uh, you think siblings do that all the time, right? And so parents oftentimes when describing two, two children that they have, will play upon their differences, knowing full well that they have so much in common, but these differences oftentimes come to the fore when we think about identity with rivals. Perhaps that gives us a clue as to how we deal with rivalry in our Christian lives. We have this opportunity then to think through how do we deal with this idea of rivalry? Can we live with this idea of rivalry in a way that is actually edifying when we think about our experience in sport? One of the things that you might be suggesting is that if we think more about our sameness, if we consider what we have in common, and we think about our collective unity as humans under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we then engage in rivalrous contest without fully villainizing the other person, without fully villainizing the opponent. We recognize then that we have much more in common then we have difference. And in many ways, that's true not only in our humanness, but also in our sport. Deep down, the Holy Spirit can work in us. You, th you mentioned parents. Parents will often see rivalries, but what they'll do is they'll sit their kids down in the same space, or they'll say, let's all sit at the table and talk to each other. So opportunities to be together, 
when the separation is not so great, when one is not walking away with great anger or disappointment and the other one with great elation. Maybe a clue as to how we deal with rivalry and maybe, maybe it could even enhance our rivalry. We definitely have opportunities to ameliorate our relationships with our rivals when we see our identities as being bigger than just part of sport. And that's the thing with, with siblings is exactly right, that their, their identity is beyond just being a sibling to the person that they see as their rival. For Hope and Kelvin, when we see ourselves as you know ideologically so similar in terms of the mission of what we're trying to do for students, when Army and Navy realize that after they leave the football field every December, that they're both trying to, to support and protect to the country. Right? They have to cooperate. And you think about so many teams that have that. There, there's a shared ideology. And, and so much that goes on in the relationship off the field or off the court. And we certainly need to keep all of that front and center, that when, when we, Hope and Kelvin, play against each other on a Saturday, we know that on Sunday there's a good chance that we might see some of each other at church passing the, the communion plate, the offering plate, and that there's so much more to our relationship than just the head-to-head -head competition on the field or on the court. It might be awkward at times when we do that to know that we have to... Uh, apologize on Sunday mm. for behavior on Saturday or um, you know, have to have deep conversations on Sunday uh, regarding what happened on, on Saturday. It can be awkward at times. I absolutely I, I get that. And I've experienced that. And yet, you know, part of this ongoing narrative, the storyline that rivals have in that we know that there's always a next season, we know there's always a next competition, a next chance uh, to prove ourselves, I think is is again part of the ameliorating process of rivalries. We get a chance to do it again. We get a chance to be better next time. It's not just better competitively, but better morally. We get a chance to grow in our relationship the more times that we get to play against our rivals and we get to know them well and hopefully the relationship grows outside the court, the arena, the venue also. So as a coach who has experienced rivalry uh, with Hope and Calvin, I can say that what you just talked about has been helpful for me because I've walked away at times where I can tell that the envy of my heart is not leading me in a good direction. And so to consider the quality of my opponent and to consider what the, my opponent brings to the process and to actually become grateful that my opponent brings that to the process has helped me with my own, my own team, but also helping with my coaching. If I can see a rival as iron that sharpens my iron, then I'm in a much better place. And to be able to view a, a rival as, as somebody that you want to be at their best when you're playing them so that you can see how good you are, you can, you can try to be at your best. Exactly, we are mutually uplifting each other, providing great tests for each other. And it's not an easy uh, emotional space to get to. And it, it's, it takes a lot of maturity, I would say, to try to get there. And I know I, I fall short so often against my rival. And yet, uh, I think there's something that's really possibly redeeming and endearing about sport rivalries in that sense. If we can get to the point where we, we realize that so much of our um, ability to push ourselves and to try to get better is based on trying to provide the best experience, the best the greatest amount of excellence towards our rivals in competition is something that I, I think fits fits well with, with the gospel. We're doing something as well as we can. We're trying to present a test. We're working together with others. We're acting in meaningful ways in our lives. To me, 
that sits a lot better than seeing the, the rival as other and having them drive me because I have a target on their backs and I throw darts at them in, in, in dark rooms at night. That's not as redeemable as, for instance, seeing my rival as someone who pushes me because they want to bring out the best of me. I want to bring out the best in them. I want to play against them when they're at their best because that's, that's great for me and for all involved. It's fun that way. And the beauty of the Christian life is that we're not doing this alone. That uh, the power of the Holy Spirit works in all of us, and we only need to ask. And as we participate in sport, that's a great place to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit, not necessarily in a way that we uh, think about immediately. So when we think about power, we think about, well, help me with victory. But instead, help to change us, change us into people that are closer uh, and more connected to our Savior Jesus Christ.